that you bestowed your mercy upon us in your Son, Jesus Christ, who came to live the life that we could not live and die a death which should have been ours. And you gave the benefits of his life and his death to us through the power of your Holy Spirit who is here today ministering mercy to men and women and boys and girls, families, singles, widows and widowers, children struggling in school, young people struggling to discover your will for their lives and older people struggling to make it through another day with, with pain in their bodies. Yes, Lord, we are your people who need your mercy. We need your mercy in our marriages. We need your mercy in our personalities, which are flawed. And as we are being sanctified, we ask for your gentle mercy, though we deserve a severe mercy, that we may be conformed to the image of Christ. But we see that our sinful nature has infected many relationships and we need your mercy in those relationships at work with our employers some of whom we have offended with our words with subordinates where we have lorded over them in ways that you have commanded us not to do. As husbands and wives, as parents, we need your mercy. Lord, we lift up the ministry of the pastoral nominating committee, the pulpit committee, as we like to call it, For they are doing important work on behalf of the congregation that elected them. They are doing, import, doing important work for you and your kingdom on earth. As the man and potentially pastoral family whom they will call will have an impact at this church, we believe, and we would trust through the generations, far beyond our lives, as messages preached would touch a family, and that message would transform family and 
the family would tell the message to the family, to their descendants. And so this is critical that the work is conducted in the Holy Spirit and also decently and in order with wisdom that you make available to us. But all of that is for naught unless, unless it is bathed in prayer and the Holy Spirit. And so we petition you now, O God of God, God of gods, King of kings, Lord of lords, bless this band of brothers and sisters. And this morning, Father, somewhere in the church, there is a pastor, perhaps his wife, maybe his children, who have an ache, a longing, or just a sensation, an intuitive, troublesome understanding that something is afoot that we pastors recognize and sometimes even run from. Bring these two together, pastor and people. Bless, anoint, heal, and make a pathway. And now we commend these prayers and petitions and the silent ones that you hear very well. We commend them to you and to the word of your grace and to the power of all of your promises, which are all yes and amen. Through Jesus, our Lord, who lives and reigns with thee, O Father, and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forevermore. Amen. A reading for the day is a return to the book of Exodus. And it is from the second chapter. And I'll be reading beginning with verse 11 and going through verse 15. And then I'll move down to the end of the chapter, verses 23 and 24. This is the inherently infallible word of the living God. One day, when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens, and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. He looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. When he went out the next day, behold, Two Hebrews were struggling together, and he said to the man in the wrong, Why do you strike your companion? He answered, Who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? 
Then Moses was afraid and thought, surely the thing is known. When Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian. And he sat down by a well. Verse 23. During those many days, the king of Egypt died. And the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. I would like to add to this a reading from the New Testament. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 10. Where St. Paul writes, But by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that was with me. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord will endure forever. Let us pray. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. When our personal passions and our individual gifts are not enfolded into the will of God, we end up sabotaging the very thing we care about most. The words cut me when I heard them. Is this about me or you? I was a young pastor, and I was navigating the complex pathways of pastoral counseling learning that it is more of an art than a science. And as the middle-aged man in front of me began to tell his story, and I was preparing in my mind to move through 
a time of, of a, a sort of pirouette of diagnosing and, and, and then honing in on the spiritual ill, if there was one, and then seeking a biblical theological framework and entering into that and seeking to begin to move toward treatment. As I was going through this dance in my mind, uh, the man was speaking about some very painful things in his past that, that had gripped him and immobilized him and was hurting him and impeding his future. And as he talked and as I was doing this construct in my mind of trying to help him, his words were actually transferring an emotion into myself. And I was beginning to experience my own painful past and unresolved issues and even unresolved and perhaps unconfessed sins. And these things begin to take over the other pastoral, clinical things that should have been going on if I was going to help him. And there is a time for self-disclosure, I would learn in my pastoral ministry. There is a time not, but there is a time for self-disclosure and in order to, if it can be helpful. But I, I begin to recognize that that this time with this man in this pastoral counseling was, was now uh, about my pain and my issues. And that's when I heard the voice, and it was apparent. It was apparent that I was dealing with, with these things internally rather than helping this man. Is this about me or is it about you? But it wasn't the middle-aged man who asked me the question. There are times, you see, where our passion, our burden, our issues can sabotage the thing we care about most, or the, the, even the people we care about. I suspect that when that happens, if it is not dealt with, we can, we can run from it, and hide it, and suppress it, not deal with it. And when we do that, we might call that being a spiritual exile, a person on the run. On the run from self, on the run from others, and of course on the run from God.
I suspect there are spiritual exiles here. Spiritual refugees. Christians? Yes. But you're in the right place. Because God has a word for spiritual exiles. God has a word for those who are on the run from the issues that are pressing in, or on the run from, from a pain in their past that needs to be dealt with today. And that word comes from Exodus 2. And the subtext, verses 11 through 15, that we read. The subtext of the larger story of Moses is a very well-known subtext. And a very famous one. It's the story of a complex, internal, psychological drama that goes public. The complex psychological drama of Egyptian royalty who is now all grown up and aware of his Hebrew lineage. And he sees the Hebrews in slavery. And the pain and the burden inside of him is boiling over. And he's got the authority, he's got the power because of his Egyptian royalty, and he figures he can do something about it. And he does. But the murder, or at least the manslaughter, if you prefer that he was defending the cause of the slaves when he killed the military official, would be known not only by the Hebrews, but ultimately by the Egyptians. It would be known by everyone. That which was done in secret would become known. When your private passions and your individual gifts are not enfolded into God's will, they end up sabotaging the very thing you care for most. And it is then that Moses went on the run. Jackson Brown, the folk singer-songwriter 
from the 60s and 70s, 80s, 90s, and he's still going, had a popular song, Running on Empty, Running Blind, Running into the Sun, he wrote, but I'm running behind. And he used the, the imagery of his tour bus as a metaphor for his life. A spiritual exile. Always running. The program that God had for Moses is the program that God has for you and me. It is a three-part program from this text that is very simple but can be very painful. But ultimately is very liberating and joyful. It's very painful if you resist it. But the yoke of Jesus is, is light. If you will receive it. But if you fight against it, it will be very painful and hard. And you'll run, you will continue to run in the, into the sun, running blind. And the more that you run, the faster you run, you'll see you are indeed running behind. But from the passage, let's look at God's program for reaching as well as reclaiming and ultimately using spiritual exiles. Because we're talking about Moses, the giver of the law, with Jesus, the great religious figure of human history. But right now, he doesn't look like a great religious leader of anything. He's just a man on the run. He is a fugitive. He is a refugee from himself and his family. You pick the family you want, Egyptian or Hebrew. He's on the run from both of them, and he's on the run from God. How's God going to deal with him? How's God going to deal with you? Well, first of all, the way God deals with spiritual refugees is he lets them run. Now, some like to, to struggle against the, the reality in Scripture of the, the sovereignty of God. I don't like it. I don't like the idea of an all-powerful, all-sovereign God and, and the idea that he is sovereign over everything and somehow sovereign over all of my life. I want to be independent. I want to be the center of my, of my life. I want to be the captain of my salvation and the captain of my destiny. Okay. God... Sovereignty can extend to even allowing you that which you desire. 
And the way God deals with spiritual exiles is he lets them run. This is what happens with Moses. God didn't break into the scene. God already had a plan for the Hebrews. God's plan for the Hebrews was part of a larger plan, a covenant that we saw in verses 23 and 24 of chapter 2 that was a promise made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, a covenant, a sacred bond made in blood. It was going to be the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ that he was going to establish a people, Israel, a land, and from that land establish a Messiah who would save the entire world. He had a plan. He had a burden for the Hebrew slaves that was much greater than anything Moses could feel or imagine. It was greater than Moses' burden. God loves you greater than you love yourself. God loves your children more than you love your children. God loves your community more than you love your community. God loves your nation more than you love your nation. God loves the world more than you love the world. God's plans are eternally deeper and richer than anything you can imagine. But if you're going to take matters into your own hands outside of the will of God, you're going to end up sabotaging the very thing that you care about most, your children, your job, your career, your reputation, your grades. your future, and you'll end up a spiritual refugee. Well, how will God reach you? Well, first of all, he, he, he just lets you run. In other words, he allows you to, to go to do that which you desire in order for you to learn. I had a boss years ago who was one of the meanest bosses I've ever had in my life and the wisest. I hate it when those couplets are there. Mean and wise. And even mean and good. Yeah, that was so. I had determined that I was a salesman for a chemical company in a Fortune 500 organization, and I figured uh, in going into this client, I could wing it. Uh, he was with me, uh, looking over my shoulder, seeing how I was doing. He had flown in to see how things were going, and I hadn't studied the customer's needs, and I hadn't studied the chemicals. Now, in that particular industry, if you don't study the customer's needs, you don't study the proper chemicals, you can end up blowing up a town. 
and, but I figured I would wing it. Because we had eight customers to do that day, and that would have required me to study the night or even the week before. That would have required work on my part. And I had the gift of gab, and wasn't this really just about talking your way through it and getting, getting the name on the line? Wasn't that really what it was all about? And he watched, and everything went well. He didn't say a thing, and uh, about a week later, I lost the account. And he found out about it, and he was back at his office in, in Chicago, and he called me, and he said, uh, you know why you lost the account? I said, no, I'm trying to figure that out. He said, because you recommended the wrong chemical. Thankfully, their engineer found out that you recommended the wrong chemical. The purchasing agent didn't know the difference, but the engineer found out, and he saved them from blowing up the plant. Not quite that bad, but he saved them. But I, I said, well, why didn't you tell me? He said, because you would have never learned the lesson that you needed to learn. I was just going to let you run your merry way through until you discover that it's important for you to study the resources and the literature we give you and go to the training meetings we provide for you. I said, oh, okay. And that really was mean and right. And it's a hard thing as a parent, I can tell you. It's a hard thing to let them run and let them experience failure. Now, you know what my boss told me? He said, I would have never allowed you to ruin your career, and I certainly wouldn't have allowed the plant to blow up and our company to be harmed. I was watching. But you had to go and learn your lesson. Now, some of you are on the run now. Some of you are coming to the place of awakening. And for some of you, it's that call now. It's that voice from the Lord to say, is this about you or is it about me? The second way that God deals with spiritual refugees is he leaves them alone. In the passage, it says that Moses fled to Midian. Now, Midian is in modern-day Saudi Arabia. Midian was the fourth of six sons by the second wife, Keturah, of Abraham. He did not follow the Lord. And the Midianites were a people who did not worship the one true God, it was mixed. Some did, some didn't. 
And not only that, they were a thorn in the side of the more cosmopolitan and prestigious Egyptian empire. They were a nomadic, backward bunch in the desert, in the mountains, including the area around Sinai. And it's there that Moses finds himself. This man has gone from Egyptian royalty to Midian nowhere. I remember, I remember hearing Dr. D. James Kennedy preach on this passage when I was his intern years ago. My wife and I were in an evening service and I read in my Bible, not this Bible, but an, another Bible that's since fallen apart, but I've written it here in my Bible, what Dr. Kennedy said. Moses thought he was a somebody. He had to learn that he was a nobody. Only then could he see that God uses nobodies. Sometimes God leaves us alone. St. John of the Cross was a middle-aged Spanish mystic who wrote a book called The Dark Night of the Soul. We sometimes even quote his book and say, I'm having a dark night of the soul. It was a fascinating book, which is a spiritual autobiography, kind of like running on empty from the running on empty for the Middle Ages. And St. John of the Cross, in reflecting on what happened to him, and when he says dark night of the soul, he meant a spiritual depression. He said, it was so dark in my soul. But he says, as I look back now, in, it was so dark, it was the only time I remember seeing the stars. You know, you have to get out away from the city in order to see the stars in all of their glory. There's no other light. There's no, no other distraction, only darkness. And there you see the contrasting brilliant stars. And what he was saying was, I think I knew God more in the dark night of my soul. I knew him more than any other time in my life. The dark night of the soul, I, I like to think, is kind of like boot camp for me. I will... I never want to go through boot camp again in all my life, but I would never trade it for anything. And there are times in our lives like that. That's what God does with us when we are running from him. He lets us run. He leaves us alone so that all we can see is the glory and the brilliant splendor of his presence. All we can hear is his voice. No other distractions when we're alone. 
But then finally, he leads us to a well. The passage says in verse 15, But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. A lot of things happen at a well. You think of Jesus and the woman at the well. I think of uh, Isaac and Rebekah at a well. I think of Moses now at a well. Jesus said, come unto me. Jesus says that he is the living water. You have been allowed to take your run and learn that you need God. You have been left alone to hear God and to hear that his burden is deeper his love is richer than yours. And now he leads you to the well now to give you water. I like what the Apostle Paul said in that passage in the New Testament. By the grace of God, I am what I am. I'm not what I used to be. I'm not what I will be. But by His grace, I am what I am. This from the voice, from the life of a man who has been, who was a spiritual refugee. Sometimes I feel as if I'm teetering between leading the people of God into the promised land and still the young pastor sitting in front of the middle-aged man listening to the voice of God. Is this about you or me, son? because I'm not there. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. I'm not what I used to be, and I'm not what I will be. But I'm not running on empty. I have been reclaimed by the grace and the love of a God whose plan was greater than anything I ever imagined. A God who found me by the well and fed me and strengthened me. Now, I'm not running on empty and you don't have to be. And you're not blind when you follow him. In fact, you're running into the sun. 
and he is healing and redeeming your past and leading you to a future you never imagined. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please stand as we...